can remember sitting in a room that was about a third of this size, maybe a quarter of this size, on a probably a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday evening, in a little church in Johnson County, Tennessee, which is up in Mountain City near almost into North Carolina, if you know where that area is, up in East Tennessee. And there was a guy by the name of Wayne Miller who was speaking at a, it was a gospel meeting, revival, whatever you want to put to it. I was about eight years old. I was probably about Noah's age, my youngest son. And it was me and my dad. My dad's a, a preacher. And uh, I remember sitting in this room that was packed, and it was probably a spring night because it was so hot in there. And there was, it was only a one-room church, and there was all the, there was just, we were just all jammed in there. And, and I still remember Wayne actually is a, a minister at the 109 Church of Christ not far from here, and I see him every now and again uh, at funerals and whatnot. But um, we were, he was doing this message, and I remember vividly, he was talking about Jesus and the, his death and, and, and he had these thorns and, and there was something in the midst of all that that spoke into me in a way that I don't ever remember prior. And since then, it took a long time to get back to it. And I had this reaction to it that was weird for me, I guess. It was a very emotional reaction. It was one of... of uh, I cried, and I didn't really know what was going on. And I didn't know how to process it. And I, like, I was only eight years old. And, and, and unfortunately, the adults around me and the people that around me, not necessarily at that time, but in the time, in the weeks and years to follow, weren't necessarily equipped to help me walk through that either, unpack that either. And so I kind of walked away from that experience. But as I look back on it, I really believe that was probably the first time I ever really felt God. Now, if you're part of the Church of Christ, if you grew up going to a Church of Christ, you know that fundamentally, which is a, probably a really ironic word to use, fundamentally, we shy away from experiences that connect deeply with our emotions. Like, we shy away from experiences that we can't define by book, chapter, and verse. We shy away from experiences that don't make any sense to us. And so for the majority of us, and I'll just speak for myself, the majority of my life, it's taken me 40 years to try and get back to a place where I have really connected with God on a deep spiritual level. Because it wasn't part of my experience. It, there wasn't verbiage, there wasn't language, there wasn't ways, because we had been taught, I had been taught growing up, and I love my heritage, I love my church heritage, I love the 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 theological grounding that I have and all that that goes into it, but... At some point, I was convinced, and some point, most of us were convinced that God lives in us through what? Through the text, right? That we read into our minds and that we agree in our minds is who God is. We, we assent to God via the Bible and the words that we take in and the words we read and the words that become part of who we are. And the problem is, is that we, we invite God to be part of our brain, but we don't invite God to be part of our heart. We invite God to be part of our lives in such a way that we mentally assent to, yes, there is a God, and yes, God, I believe that Jesus lived, and I believe that Jesus died for my sins, and I, I believe, and there's this checklist of things that we assent to intellectually, but in the process, we don't have a, a relationship for that. What we have is knowledge. That's a good place to start, 
But I'm not sure where it takes us. You see, because if we just invite God to live in our heads, and we never let Him live in the fullness, never let His fullness live in our hearts, can you imagine what we've missed out on? Can you imagine in your life what you've missed out on when somebody, now how many of you, let's be honest, how many of you when somebody said, you know what, I heard a song on the radio today and I believe that God sent that because that spoke right into my heart where I needed to be. How many of us heard somebody say that and thought, that's just silly. How many of us immediately dismiss stuff like that because it just doesn't make sense and we can't put our fingers on it, we can't wrap our minds around it, we can't, we can't, I don't know what the word is, we just can't. We can't even. I'm really old, right? I can't even I can't even say that. And so it becomes just this this struggle in life and as I look around and as I as I see my own experience, I look around and I see lives of people around me who are falling apart and the one thing that I keep hearing from them is that you know what? I just don't know who I am. And the problem is we don't know who we are because we're trying to live our lives and build our lives outside of who God has created us to be. And that God didn't create us to have an intellectual interaction with Him. God created us to have a relationship with Him where He comes and inhabits our lives and informs our lives and tells us who we are. And only when we live in that world where God is a vibrant part of who we are can we really understand who we are. And can we really define who we are? And maybe you've had an experience like I had. And some of you may sit there thinking, oh, you were eight years old. You didn't know. You're right. I didn't know. I didn't have any idea. I didn't know how to process that. But maybe some of you have had that that experience and it scared you. Maybe you had that experience and and, and you didn't know what to do with it. And so you're, you're struggling with, okay, how do I process Life, well, I, I, because I want that, right? I want that mountaintop experience. I want to get back to a place to where I feel God so alive within me that it just moves me. But I also know I have to live here in this world. And how do I? There's this struggle, right? And so we seek that mountain. One of the things I loved about youth ministry when I did it was that I got to to help kids have that experience, that leading it to that mountaintop experience through not things that I was doing, but through things that God was doing through various outlets and, and youth rallies and all this different thing, coming in contact with people. And there were just so many options for so many opportunities, but then all of a sudden we become adults and we have to put those things away and we have to move on to something else. And so then God becomes a fully intellectual pursuit. Noah right now is asking questions like, How do you know God is real? How do you know the Bible is real? Like, how do you know somebody didn't just make it up? And so we as adults try to figure out some type of intellectual argument that when we give it, they're suffice. They're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. And at some point, last time Noah asked me those questions, I said, I believe because I believe. And he's like, that doesn't make any sense. I said, you're right. It doesn't make any sense. Because we are trying to live in a place where we have just enough, right? Campbell, I don't know if I'm getting anywhere this morning. There we go. I'll let you do it. Because the stuff we can't explain... We almost don't want it, right? 
We almost don't want the stuff that we can't fully explain and can't fully unpack. We don't want it because it doesn't make enough sense. And so we want just enough knowledge. We want just enough about God to get us to heaven, but not really change us. And so for those of you, and there may be some here this morning that are struggling, you're struggling trying to figure out who you are and what you're supposed to be doing, where you're supposed to be. God's trying to lead you through that to something better. And we've got to let him lead us. We've got to let him lead us to a point to where it doesn't matter how much we know, how much education we have, how much skill we have, that he is still bigger than that. The experience that he can bring is still so much more than that. I see... When we try to intellectualize our relationship with God, we, we step away from what he's trying to do in our hearts. You see, in Paul in our passage today, and we'll get to our passage in Ephesians 3, Paul's talking, the prayer that he gives for the Ephesians, this amazing prayer where he says, I pray that God fills you with the fullness of him. And I love just to sit and read that passage because it speaks such great volumes. But it's one of those passages where we look at it like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to, I don't know. And so we struggle. So the things we don't know with, what do we do? We step back to the edge for those things we don't know. We step back from opportunities. We step back from things that, that people do are in places that we don't have any idea about because it scares us. You know, if I had a nickel for every time I heard, Dad, can you help me? I would have a lot of nickels right now, right? Every time Christmas happens, you know what I get? I get a lot of instruction manuals. I get a lot of packages to put together. I get a lot of instruction manuals. Noah got a telescope. Noah's eight years old. He's not patient enough to learn how to use a telescope. I took it on the back porch. I lined it up with the moon. It was the prettiest picture ever. He looked at it and he said, yeah, that's cool. I said, this took me an hour to get here, Noah. Can you not appreciate a little bit more? Can we look at something else? It took me an hour to focus on the moon. Isaac got a drone for his birthday. Not a fancy one, right? Because I'm not giving that to an 11-year-old. He got a drone for his birthday. And he kept saying, hey, Dad, can we camp? And so I said, Isaac, here's what you got to do. You're going to have to take that in the instruction manual, and you're going to have to read it. And you're going to have to ingest it. And I want you to come at me when you have read that, and you can tell me how it's going to work, and then we'll go outside and we'll fly it. Two minutes later, he came back and said, Dad, can we go fly it? I said, Isaac, did you read? He said, no. At least he was honest, right? He was honest and said, no, I didn't read it. So we went outside and we crashed it. That's the way it goes, right? But when I look at instruction, if you tell me if I'm wrong, I look at instruction manuals, you know what I do? I skim it, right? I want to see the high points. I want to see, okay, this turns it on. This makes it fly. This will make it go that. Okay, so now I'm going to go learn on the fly, right? And I crash it. Or I don't set the telescope up right. Or whatever. And so we want just enough knowledge to get us to the next step, not enough to really, because what I asked of him, what I asked of them was to read the Emmanuel until they understood it, but I wasn't going to do that, right? I was going to read just enough to get me, to get me by, to get me to the next step. And it's not just kids, we're adults were like that too, we want just enough. So what's the difference? Like what's the difference between just enough and an all-in perspective? What's the difference between mentally acknowledging something and knowing something or understanding something or living something out? We were at uh, 
Home Depot the day. I took the boys to get them out of the house and, and to change scenery. And we were at Home Depot and um, we had checked out and we were leaving and we were going through the parking lot. And, and I'm always like, hey, guys, you got to pay attention. Right? There's cars everywhere. People are, you got to pay attention. And so we're headed down and Isaac is not paying attention. Right? And he heads down this aisle towards where our car is sitting and steps right behind a car that is backing out. Now, I didn't see it initially because I was, I've got two. I've got one going east. I've got one going west. I don't know. I'm trying to figure out where they're all at. And I hear Noah go, Isaac. And I look up just in time. And Noah had seen what he was doing. Just enough time to get his attention for him to step back real quick and not get hit by a car. Now, does, does Isaac know that if a car hits him, it'll hurt? Does Isaac know that he cannot beat a car? Now, there's a difference between knowing something and ingesting it, Right? Does he know that he needs to pay attention when he walks in the parking lot? Oh, absolutely he knows. Absolutely he knows. But you know what? There were so many other things going on that that knowledge that was up here wasn't living down here. Or what about when we're driving? Let's just talk to you and I, right? What about when we're driving? What happens when you drive over the speed limit? How exponentially does the opportunity for you to get into a fatal accident grow when you speed? It is... An insane amount, right? But how many of us sped on the way here today? Hey, I'll admit it. Okay, I'll admit it. I'm not, I'm not asking you to admit it. I'll admit it, right? Because we know that if we speed, we have our rate of an accident comes up. I could get a ticket, and then I would complain about the police because they gave me a ticket when I was speeding, Right? So there's so many other factors that arise. We know that we shouldn't speed because it's not a good thing, but you know we're running late, so hey, I've got to get there. Or there's an ego involved there, right? Like somebody tailgates, they're like, okay, it's on. You want to race? Let's go race. And so sometimes there's just sheer idiocy. And nobody's immune. Maybe you don't speed. Maybe you're super careful. Great. But there's various times and events where we easily separate what we know from what we ought to do. It's in those moments that we, we forget our rational thoughts just become, just fly right out the window even though we know it. It's kind of like, uh, you ever seen Men in Black? There's a, there's a point in Men in Black where, and it, group, it's why groupthink is so dangerous. It's why when you get a group of people together and they all start thinking one way and it, it gets out of hand in a hurry. That's the reason riots happen. A lot of things happen. It's, it's dangerous, right? And it's because when we get in certain situations, the reality of the situation changes because of what's going on and we don't fully buy into it. Men in Black, there's a scene where Tom Lee Jones is sitting on a park bench with Will Smith and he's trying to get Will to, to join the Men in Black. And, and Will's like, well, just show everybody all this stuff and we can, doesn't have to be a secret. And Tom Lee Jones like, he said, he said, people are smart. He said, no. Tommy Jones said, no, a person is smart, but people are dumb. You see, because when we get around people, we do dumb things because we, what we know in our heads totally escapes what we act like and what we ought to do and how we ought to behave. Mentally, we can claim there is a God and we can claim to believe that Jesus died on the cross for our sins and we can claim that He rose from the dead and we can claim that He's coming again. We can claim that one day we're going to heaven and then we can go out of these doors and we can live like heathens. Like what we just claimed didn't even matter. You know, it's an amazing thing about January. 
Every January, society gives us a do-over. Across the board, it's like a reset button. You want to get rid of a bad habit? January 1, let's do it. You want to lose weight? January 1, let's do it. You want to learn something new? January 1, let's do it. But you know what? And I was surprised about this because I'm really into the goal setting and trying to be better in life in all phases. You know, the majority of the people don't take the opportunity to try and hit the reset button on January 1. You know, it's about 30%. And you know what happens within the first week? 80% of that 30% give up. And why is that? It's because moving something from what we know we ought to do here and transferring it into what we know and let it become a part of our life here is really, really hard work. And it's not that we're afraid of hard work because I'm not afraid of hard work. It's because at the end of the day, there's too much on our plate, right? There's not enough hours in the day. And sometimes the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying the same. That's, that's what change people say when you talk about churches and trying to change identities. And, and I love what Michael said about when people look at what we do as a church, they're confused because this is the way a church ought to work. Y'all would be happy to be part of a church that works like this. I know I am. Because I've been, a lot of, I've been part of a lot of dysfunctional churches that don't work right. I'm not saying we got it right, but I'm saying we've got a pretty good thing going on. Sometimes the pain of change is greater than the pain of staying. So, and sometimes it has to take something to make us understand that we have to change or if we stay the same, it's going to be really, really, really bad. And so we abandon things that we know in our minds are good things like trying to eat healthier or trying to quit some habit or trying to start some habit because we don't see in the short term the consequences of those things. And we get one ride, right? We get one ride on this earth. And it's up to you and it's up to me how this ride ends. Much of what happens in your life will be out of your control, but how you react to it will be completely 100% in your control. But I get it. There's a lot on your plate, right? I spent the last three weeks with two boys that would not go away. And I love my boys, right? I love them, but I'm so glad they're going back to school tomorrow. I can't even. Don't tell him I said that. I get it. I get it. I used to go to conferences. I used to go to some of the best conferences, ministry conferences. And I would go, and there'd be like 10,000 people praising God, and we'd hear some of the greatest speakers. And I would come home with these binders that were full of really good ideas, Just and I'd be riding so high, and I would hit the church door, and it was like being sprayed in the face with a fire hose. And every bit of desire and urgency that I had to change or to be different was extinguished by the urgency of what was going on now. And so I get it, right? I get that this is life sometimes. And for some of us, this is like life all the time. And so at some point, I started going to those conferences just so I could survive to the next year. Just to be honest, right? At some point, I started going just to get enough to refill my tank enough because I knew as soon as I got back to church that next Sunday or that next Monday that I would immediately be, my bucket would be poured out. And I really believe that that's kind of the devil. No, it's not kind of the devil. 
Now, I'm not one for shirking responsibility and saying the devil made me do anything, but I firmly believe that he has helped me do a lot of stuff in my life by just placing the right thing in front of me or the wrong thing in front of me. Right? That fire hose that I walk back into every time I walk back in the church door was an opportunity for me to fall off and just get further away from what God was trying to draw me to and what God was trying to help me be. And that fire host, the depletion, was a slow burnout. But it doesn't have to be that way. Where you are now and where you want to be, those things can happen. And it doesn't matter whether it's January 1, where it's 8 o'clock before you go to work, or 5 p.m. Monday or Friday, if you're barely hanging on, let me tell you, it does not have to be that way. I believe that God has no interest, no interest in you nor I living a life that is slowly killing us on the inside. And the responsibility isn't out there. Responsibilities in here. It's that we've allowed God to live here, but we've never allowed Him to fill us with His fullness. We've never allowed God into our hearts. We won't let Him out of our minds. And this is not semantics. Like, I don't want you to get caught up and I'm giving you something that's like, oh, well, that didn't make any sense. It's not some mystical thought either. We just haven't let God do what He wants to do in our lives. I was teaching, uh, and I may have said this before. I, I was teaching a class one time, and I used some pithy phrase called that, like, you got to let go and you got to let God. You got to let go and you got to let God. And I had an elder's wife come up to me after that, and she was like, Josh, I don't know how to do that. So I just regurgitated. I said, Well, you, sometimes you just got to let go of what you want. You got to let God do what he wants. I don't know how to do that. And I, and I was like, I, I, Yeah, okay, me either. Because God was residing here. Not in our mouth, not in our hearts, not in the seat of not in our inner being. See, maybe that's a better word to use than the heart, because I'm pointing here, and this is an organ that pumps blood through my body, right? But it's the seat of who we are. It's our inner beings. In, in our inner beings, where Paul says, I hope God fills you with the fullness, that's where you decide who you're gonna be, where you're gonna live, who you'll marry. What you will do. It's the core of you and me. And if there's any place God ought to set up residence and have complete control, it's in those pla- that place where we make every hard core decision. And whether you like the analogy or not, God created your core, your inner being, with a spot just for Him. And until you and until I realize that that spot is made for God and we need to invite God into that spot, until we realize that we're going to spend all of our time trying to find our happiness. Go ahead, Cam, next slide. Trying to find our happiness in money, trying to find our happiness in relationships, trying to find our happiness in knowledge, our recognitions, our awards. Or we're going to spend all of our time trying to find fulfillment and some other thing that brings us meaning in life in all the places except, except for where God is. And these aren't bad things. But if God is not a part of this, all these are bad things. Because they'll lead us away from God. 
And while a head full of knowledge about God may get us to heaven, it'll make for a miserable journey here. And it'll make it unbearable for those people walking with you. So what else is there, right? What about the good? What else? This week's text comes from Ephesians chapter 3. The last half of chapter 3 is a prayer that Paul is praying for this group of people in Ephesus. Now, can we stop for a minute and imagine how awesome it would be to have somebody like Paul praying for us? Just what that would do or what we feel like that would do? We used to have, a, my dad was a preacher at a small church in Jackson County, not far from here. And we used to have the, a son-in-law of one of the members would come to town. And every time he would come to town, they would ask him to lead the opening prayer in the worship service. And, and so he would get up there and he would pray, I kid you not, for like 10 minutes. Like one of those marathon prayers. At that time, I was a young man and, and I was, we, would all, we would joke about it. We right? like, okay, well, we might as well get comfortable. We're going to be here for a few minutes. And my dad was working two jobs. He was working night shift. And he was preaching on Sundays, and so he would work Saturday nights all night long, and then he wouldn't go to bed till after he got done preaching on Sunday. So it was one Sunday morning that I was leading singing, and my dad was preaching. And one of those little stages, you know, where you have the pews, and, and we were all sitting up there, and the guy, I was sitting over here, my dad was over there, and the guy was praying. As soon as the guy said amen, my dad had fallen asleep, right? Like he was out. And so as soon as the guy said amen, I stood up to sing the song before the lesson, and my dad was starting to jump out of his seat, and I was like, whew, just have a seat. As I look back and as I think about those prayers, those were some of the deepest prayers I'd ever heard prayed in my life. And it wasn't about him just talking and talking and talking. It was about there was depth to what he was trying to bring and trying to invite us into in those moments. And those type of prayers, those moments don't happen when you only intellectually assent to who God is. Let's hear Paul's prayer. Okay, I'm go ahead and click that slide. For this very reason I kneel before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep the love of Christ is. Now those are words I've heard kicked around my entire life. But you understand that Paul, that's not something just for us to talk about. Paul's saying, I hope that God lives within you in such greatness that you can grasp how much God loves you. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the measure of all the fullness. Go ahead, Campbell, of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Paul did not give us any work to do there, did he? What did Paul do? Paul said, invite God to live in you. Like there's not some chore that we have. There's not another thing to put on the plate. Be like, oh no, I've got to do more stuff this week so that I'll be filled with the fullness of God. No, invite God to live. And guess what? The God that created you will fill you. That's the beauty. Because can we accomplish any of this on our own? No, we cannot accomplish any of this on our own. 
God wants all followers everywhere throughout all time, not just to have knowledge of God, to have experience of God, to have God alive within them. And it's tough for us, especially those of you here who grew up in a more fundamental church, whether it be Church of Christ or whatever it was, a more fundamental church that did not allow that because we want to have mental assent, not some experience that we will immediately dismiss. And so it becomes all about knowledge at the expense of experience. But I believe it has to be both and, not either or. How do we become strengthened with power through the Spirit? How does Christ dwell in our hearts? How do we grasp the love of Christ? How do we get filled to the brim with the fullness of God? We can't do it ourselves. I could spend a month, and I would love to spend a month just talking through this passage, right? dissecting every little bit and getting the warm fuzzies from every little passage and every little thing. I can unpack it, repack it, and make it ring in your ears. None of that matters unless you want something different. None of it matters unless you want something different for your life. If you want more, if you know there's a longing, if there's something else out there. And so the question is, do you want it? It's like we are rich, but we're living poor. Because we have access to this God that wants relationship with us. But we choose to live in spiritual poverty instead. It makes as much sense as having a warm home and sleeping in a tent last December 23rd. Anybody remember the 23rd? The snow, the zero... Like I, we got a dog this year. Like last April, we got a dog. This is the first time in winter where I've had to go outside. I'm not, I'm seriously rethinking, right? Because like four or five times that day, I had to go outside and it was cold. And you know what Buddy wanted to do? Buddy's my dog. You know what Buddy wanted to do? He wanted to run around and sniff and play in the snow. I was like, just go to the bathroom so I can go back inside. But what is it? Sense what it make to live in a tent in the backyard when you got a house that's warm. Let me end here. If you want the road ahead to be filled with the fullness of God, decide that's what you want and ask Him to take you there. If you want more tomorrow than you had today, decide that's what you want and ask God to take you I don't want to oversimplify, nor do I want to overcomplicate. Paul said, I hope you're filled with the fullness of God. He did not pray, I hope that you figure out the right set of words to say so that you can have the fullness of God. He didn't say that. Because they could not and we cannot. And so maybe it starts with a simple prayer. So it's the one thing I hope you take with you today. Maybe it starts with this simple prayer. Lord, fill me with you. And maybe for the next week, the next month, whatever it is, open your mind to the possibility. And a couple, a couple of months ago, I think we talked about the art of possibility and how we have to be willing to see outside the box that we built for ourselves to live and to see what God can do. 
And so maybe you suspend the box that you have put in place and you try and let God work in your life outside of what you rationally can understand. Because if you try and just have a relationship with God through your own rationale, you won't get there. And so maybe for the next week, the next month, the next year, you pray the simple prayer, Lord, fill me with you. And you let God see what he wants to do in that. Father, fill us with you. Help us not to be scared of where you might take us. Help us not to be scared of the, the stuff that we don't know, the stuff we can't control. Just, Father, fill us with you so we understand how much you truly love us. Thank you for a new year. Thank you for this church. Lead us where you need us to be. Lead us where you want us to be. Father, we love you. Help us love you more tomorrow than we do today. Father, help us to be better tomorrow than we we are today. Father, fill us with you.